This is the Tea About Bees. From Nashville, Tennessee, this is Tammy Cherney, along with Tatiana Tonica-Bonny, and thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Tea About Bees, where we discuss the joys and trials of backyard beekeeping. It's Thursday, May 11th, 2023. Hello, this is Tammy. And this is Tatiana. And thanks for joining us. We would really appreciate it if you would click the follow button. And also leave us a five-star review. It would be fantastic because this helps other beekeepers find us. Yes, we really need those because we're just starting out here and um, it helps us to get found more easily and we can help more beekeepers. So I think we wanted to talk about um, our queen rearing class that we just took uh, through the UT um, master beekeeping course program. Yeah, that was really a cool class that they were offering. It was all about queen rearing, which I didn't think I was interested in because it's grafting. Mm -hmm. But then when we got there, I was like, okay, I love knowing all of this. I have some flexibility <laughs> and even me being hob hobbyist. Yeah. Um, you know, it just shows you a little bit of options. I remember what we were really, you and I were always talking about as being sustainable, sustainable, you know, mm -hmm. having your own, creating your own beehives, never having to buy bees again, mm -hmm. besides getting swarmed, just being able to, um, you know, when they really want to get ready to swarm, either doing your splits, splits or there's all different ways you can go about it. Obviously I didn't do anything this year, but we also learned about our genetics. We did um, a lot more because that has to do with rearing queens right it does it does and, did you, you know, and I went into the class I went into the class thinking I love information I love all the information I can get about honeybees and so um and this is a class we started when they started with the basic program they restarted after um you know like the COVID 2020s they, they they've started putting these programs back together and so we took the the basics master beekeeping course last year and I was like, yes, I want to continue with this. And am I ever going to raise queens? I went into it going, no, I'm never going to raise queens. Why am I going to raise queens? And I came out of the class going, you know, I, I might actually raise some queens. Um, yeah. It was not as... You mean not for selling, but for yourself, right? Yeah, for, for yeah, myself, yeah. not necessarily for selling. No, no, but right, for right. myself. But, but I was, I was like you. It's, it's information. I think it's good to know. Um, like you, it's like anything else in beekeeping. You know, are you, if you're gonna do it, you know, do it with a purpose. You know, if you're gonna get into your hives, do it with a purpose. If you're gonna raise queens, do it with a purpose. Um, so what would be my purpose? It would be, you know, if I say I lost a few hives or say I had an excellent, I had an excellent hive that I thought had a, an incredibly good queen. And I really wanted to make sure I got some daughters off of that queen. Well, then I might consider going ahead and raising a handful of queens and trying to pull off some splits by pulling some brood out of some boxes and creating some, um, some hives out of those, out of those daughters. Um, so it's definitely, it's definitely something I can kind of put in my toolbox of things I can do. The more knowledge that, that you have as a beekeeper, I think at the end of the day, it gives you more flexibility in what you can do. Because I think there's nothing more overwhelming than being in a situation and not knowing how to navigate it, which can be frustrating. Mm -hmm. And once you have, once you're exposed to all of the knowledge, 
I think that, I mean, we're, and we're always going to be exposed to knowledge mm-hmm. as you keep learning and learning. Cause you can only, I think I was talking about it with one of my mentees and we were saying, there's only so much I can absorb at one time because there's so much you have to learn in the beginning and you're just trying to get through the basics. And then after that, you can go, you know, phase two and phase three mm-hmm. and well, we're like you, you're, you're, you know, eight years in. Mm-hmm. And, and so you've learned so much, but there's always like things that are changing and now we having weather changes and. Well, you're always, so the more information, you know, when you're out there in the middle of your bee yard and there's a situation in front of you, instead of you going into panic mode and going, oh my gosh, exactly. what do I do? Yeah. You, you've, you've at least got the resource of information to know that there are options, you know, that I have right. these options. What can I do instead of what am I going to do? It's, 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 I can do this, 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 or this, these right. are my options. And, right. so, and you don't end up being as panicked or in a situation where you're, where you're like just trying to put out a fire. You are right. ahead of the game with the information that you have. And that's right. important. Exactly. I think that for me, I do get very panicky in the beginning when I was um, beekeeping because the books didn't prepare me for some of the problems that I had. And so, you know, you go looking online for information and you get like a bunch of different answers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even but who's, and you're like, are, who's right? Who's right? Because they could all be right. It just depends on your situation. Exactly. And sometimes people are giving you um, answers and they don't know the full picture because maybe you didn't exactly describe it correctly, you know? Mm-hmm. But the more that we have, both of us together, have gone through the master beekeeping um, program that University of Tennessee puts out. And I did a little bit of research on that because I was like, how does it compare to other beekeeping programs? Mm-hmm. Well, I did a big search and it seems like there's a few states that give it Cornell being, I think, probably one of the best ones. Um, I think it was like $800 and you do it, it. It can be an online course. Okay. Um, but and so they will take you through, but the best courses that you can do where you get to do hands-on stuff. So if you're in that state, like we're in Tennessee and she has an entomology program, but we'd have to be in Knoxville, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. so that doesn't really help us. So having these extension um, classes that come in where they knock you hard in for a couple of days are great, but no, they don't compare to the master beekeeping course that you, you know, take extensively, like through months of programming, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, of classes and stuff like that. But it's still, if you know, as much knowledge as we can get, we're always taking any classes that are yeah, furthering our knowledge. The, and, the, if you if you if you decide, you know, everything and you stop learning, right, then you're setting yourself back. So right. the way the way to, to to me the way to be the best bee, bee, beekeeper you can be is to stay in front of that knowledge. Just keep learning, keep having you know see what what they're coming out with. Know the information, know what's going on around you, and if you agree with it, then fantastic. And if you don't, that's okay too. But you need to be aware of what's going on. Exactly, and that's why I really love our Nashville um, Beekeeping Association. Because I feel like they're always giving you knowledge, either through experience, where you have someone who is a local beekeeper, and he's has all this knowledge just what he does. Or you have someone who is a specialist, like we had 
the queen rearing uh, four guys that came and spoke at our club meeting on our Sunday. Last meeting, yeah, yeah, and one of them being Shubu. Um, did I miss saying his name correctly? Is it Shubu? I think I it's think so. I think yeah, so. it's close. And and he uh, raises Caucasian bees. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's little, not just doing he's not just doing regular grafting. He's doing artificial insemination, which is a correct whole to keep the step gen- level. Yeah, a level. Yeah, up. to keep the genetics um, authentic. Now those be those queens. If you purchase those, those are like I think between four and six hundred something in that range. Um, and there's a, a woman. Her name is Sue. And I can't remember her last name, but she is for the, uh, she breeds through artificial insemination, um, the world Caucasian bee, and then not Caucasian world Carniolan bee. bee. Mm -hmm. And then the uh, Cajun. And so Cajun is what keeps the swarming down. The Carniolan is more swarmy. So at the end of the day, you know, we're all, I just listened to this podcast um, on beekeeping today It was back in 2020 when she actually spoke and her husband, and there was a third guy named Steve, and they were talking about their breeding program. And it's really interesting because it's so much work. There's so much work involved in that. And they're even having to get approval from um, the government to be allowed to have artificial, I mean, to have the semen come in from some of the um, Carniolan or from out of country. Caucasian. Yeah. yeah. So the country Georgia mm-hmm. is where, um, the Caucasian comes from. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, they'll bring that cause they need to diversify the genetics. They can't just keep the small gene pool, you know? Mm-hmm. So they all kind of work together, but she's out there in the state of Washington. If, if I understand correctly, or at least at that time she was, and um, luckily, one of the guys that was trained by her is Shubu. And uh, so <laughs> and I'm he's like, oh, right here in Tennessee. And he's right here in Tennessee, in Columbia, in fact. So I, you know, I have to say it's very challenging for the swarming season for me, but everything else, I mean, I'm, ex- they're like an eight, nine, 10 for me, you know, their yeah. health, their um, way to adapt to being able to build up and sustained their numbers, which is really great. I just didn't manage it correctly because I had, you know, my roof issues as we know. Yeah. And they were put on the back burner. But but you um, also, I don't think, went into the season aware no, that you were going to have no, that no. level of, <laughs> of swarming no. activity. And, I, and, and so not being prepared for that, being on the newer side of dealing with that particular bee um, genetics, kind of like if you had been more prepared and known what you were going into you might have been able yeah, to say, I didn't really hey, I can't deal with correct. them but I can have somebody else come in and help me if I need to because right now I've got life happening and I've got to deal with life so it, like you said every year every year is something different every year you're, you're having to deal with something and figure something out and this year you learn that your particular bees you're going to have to be on top of them going into swarm season or you're going to have a lot of swarms Right. So I mean, like every, but every breed has their issues. If you talk about Italians, um, it's harder for them in the cooler weather, even so when we get our cold snap, it is harder for them than it is for my bees. Yeah. You know, my bees are going to be able to handle a little bit better. Um, then we have that. And, and that's the reason we talk about regionally acclimated bees as well. Correct. Um, yeah. 
Correct. And secondly, they are really healthy and they um, don't use a ton of their stores, whereas Italians are known to really just go through their their stores, you know, a lot. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I always make sure they have enough anyways. It doesn't really matter. So it is what it is. But I don't think I needed, you know, in January when I got scared after that Arctic storm, I gave a little tiny bit of pollen. Mm hmm. I don't think I needed to do that. I, you, even you, pro- you so- probably didn't, but I don't think it made, I don't think it really made a difference one way or the other. Well, you truth, such a small you know, amount it was truth, negligible. Truth, and they are known. I was listening to a lot of different um, YouTubers that have these genetics, and they were saying that they are known to build up early, too early, like in their early spring before the honey flow has even come, mm-hmm. and that they do kind of do this whole thing. But if you were someone who sold nukes or sold bees. You'd be like money, money, money. Yeah, yeah. Because you can obviously split those. They build up their numbers early in the season, so it makes it easier to split early. So people who want their bees, you know, before the flow starts instead of in the middle of the flow, you have an opportunity there to get bees to them earlier in the season. I mean, there are definite benefits to that, but there's also a downside to it. And when you're looking at it from a commercial perspective, it's not such a big deal. But when you're looking at it as a backyard beekeeper perspective, hobbyist. then but, you know, it might be it might be an issue. But then think about this. I'm not having to treat for mites all the time. I have been able to minimally, and so far in the last three years, I've only had to treat once per year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, will it change every year? I mean, I don't know. I have to watch. I mean, whatever the results tell me is what I have to do, you know? Yeah. And you'll have but, a better oh, idea after coming through this year compared to what you did last year. And the year before, because mm-hmm. I treated once the first year and I treated once last year when I treated a little too early last year, then I had to retreat two hives mm-hmm. again. But now those hives, I ha- I did knock down swarm cells. They had swarmed once or twice on me. Um, these are the peony and pansy hive. And again, I'm very good at keeping records so that you can really figure out. In fact, I went back and looked at all the different swarms that I have and what I actually have to go. If I didn't know what hive a swarm came out of, then I'm going to have to go, okay, they maybe at that time had a swarm cell. How long would that take? That's your 16 days from egg or 13 days from the small larva. And then they need a few days. That queen needs a few days to harden up. And then she needs to go on a mating flight maybe one or two times. If it's bad weather, you can add three weeks for this whole kind of process, right? And possibly four. So I'm just going to try to um, not stress myself. I'm I'm going to let whatever happens organically happen because then I'm assuming out of the seven hives I have, I'm not going to be queenless in all of them, right? Because I mean, but I would imagine that maybe there's a queen that didn't come back. So well, I mean, be... when you get into your house the next time, all you have to do is Tomorrow. go. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of my plan too. Is you can, yeah. you, if you if you can, you can look and see if there's any young larvae, eggs or young larvae, and if so, if you even if you don't find the queen, then you're like, okay, I have a queen, obviously. And if not, then you at least have enough hives. If you wanted to, you can pull a frame of of. I can do young larvae eggs and put it into that hive and hopefully they will raise their own queen. I think one of the things that I learned from the class was, 
you know, really making sure you're looking, you see all the different ages of um, larva. larva in a frame. So yeah. you definitely want to make sure if you're doing that kind of um, pulling a brood frame to put into another hive, you need to really make sure you're putting like eggs or very, right. you know, or almost just hatched from eggs larva in that frame. Cause you know, they do need to be three days older, less for them to raise yeah. a queen out of that. Right. So, you know, it was, it gave me a certain comfort level to be looking at those frames and really having them in front of me in an right. environment where we don't have a lot of bees flying around us. So you could really kind of look, um, that was, that was, it upped my level of comfort with dealing with that. So that in itself was good. Um, I can also say that one of the tools I think I'm definitely going to get is the, um, the Hambly queen dial. Cause I thought yes. that was really incredibly helpful. Cause even if you're in a, if you're in your hive and you see queen cells, this kind of gives you a really good timeline that you can look at. Um, and I'm a very visual person anyway, um, so you can look at that that dial and you can kind of dial it and go, okay, well, they're raising a queen now. I need to stay out of the hive during this period of time because that dial actually tells you that. And it's something you can kind of carry with you. And I really like that aspect yeah. of that type of calendar. The day that we went home that first day, I decided I better have everything memorized now. So I know from the time that the queen cell is capped, um, that it's six. Well, yes. From the time that it's capped, it's like 16 days from the time that it's an egg, excuse me, from the yeah. time that it's an egg, it's 16 days to, to from the, the young. Emerges. Yeah. Right. Until it fully emerges. And then if it's young larva, like that third day larva or fourth day larva, I think it is, um, then it's 13 days. And then they need a few days to harden up sometimes five or six days. Mm-hmm. And then that queen may go out one to up to three times um, on a mating flight. And it just depends until her, um, until she's full. And then when she's full, it goes into her uh, spermathid. How do you say that? Spermathica. I feel like I'm, (laughs) (laughs) but um, yeah, into her storage. And then once that's full, then she'll stop. But if it's not full, that's when they go back for a second time. Mm-hmm. So she'll go to the drone area and they can go up to five, five to six miles away. But they said most generally they stay within a mile. Yeah. So um, the other, and- the other thing with the Queens that, that it was really good to he- for me to hear, because I kind of maybe heard this from different things, but never had it specifically said to me is if you're dealing with a frame that has um, a queen cell on it and it's a closed queen cell you have to kind of be gentle with handling that yeah if you, if yeah. you turn that frame upside down with that you will damage that queen because there's a period really? of time there's a period of time once it is capped that you can easily damage those queens so that's when they're at their most fragile state so um, you're you know thinking, i you're actually thinking, yeah you think they're closed up and they're fine but actually they're not if you even turn them upside down it can cause their like their wings are finishing and stuff you can twist their wings up and you can damage them and if of course if their wings get damaged and they then they can't fly and they can't mate so that is good to know for everybody because i don't think we i've ever been aware of that but i really don't stick them upside down so much because there is there has been trickle of ne- nectar coming mm-hmm. in mid-March. Mm-hmm. And so 
if you're tilting it, nectar's dropping and just getting yeah. sticky yeah. and icky. And so any, they work so hard for that nectar, yeah. right? <laughs> but if, but if oh. you want to keep a queen, if you're, if you have queen cells and they're capped and you want to keep those queens and yeah. you have to be, you need to, you need be to be very gentle. Yeah, if you turn them upside down, like part of this was what they were talking about because we were doing grafting. And so we had the grafting cells and they're like, okay, well, you've got your grafting cells, you know, and they're, they're hanging there. Well, if you go to, to you know move them and put them in frames and this that and another depending on like at, when they're getting at their finishing stages they're like if you turn that frame upside down with those grafting cells on it you will damage those queens and it's true of of the queens that they that they're the swarm queens or the um the ones that they raise supersedure queens either right. one it's true of both of those if they're at that same stage of finishing then you can damage them if you are if you're too rough on them when you're handling those frames. So just be aware of that. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that because I don't think I read that before. But <laughs> I do know that I'm always like just in general, I'm very careful. Gentle. The thing yeah. that you have to be care that that you have to be careful for, if you're running double brood boxes like I am, um, and you have a virgin queen in there. And she hasn't maybe hatched yet. Uh, I'm not hatched yet. She hasn't maybe started laying yet. You need to be aware that she could still be in there. Mm -hmm. So I'm almost like, I'm going to go off the time limit thing. And I'm not even going to really go look in there because I'm a little bit worried. I mean, I'll look in the top brood box. This is what I've now decided. Initially, um, for the last two weeks, I have gone in both deep boxes. I saw... Um, remember when the inspector was here, I didn't have anything in the back three. Um, and last week's inspection, I had a uh, young larva in one of the hives. Awesome. So then I have two that they started backfilling all the brood area with nectar. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping that there was some eggs in there. It did look like nectar, but I thought, could it be something else? Cause it was kind of shady back there, but yeah. And it can be hard know. to say, sometimes it can glisten in the bottom and you think, oh, it's nectar, but it can be. You know, it can be very young larva. So when you get down in that brood box, you have to really kind of pay attention to what's going on. Well, I'll tell you what I used to do when I was looking for eggs. I would have the sun behind my shoulder and then I would, you know, hold the frame. Oh, I always hold it over the, the bee box, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't want it like if there's a queen there and you don't see it. So, I mean, I always look, but you never know, right? Because they cover her up sometimes. So mm -hmm. I always keep it over the, the hive itself. But then I kind of like, shift it kind of back and forth. But when I was watching um, our teacher, our professor, she was actually holding it facing down, like, um, like horizontally, and then she kind of tilted it back and forth. And I thought, huh, I'm going to have to try that. Try that. You're going to try that technique. <laughs> I'm going to try that technique. I mean, because the thing is, when it's young, when it's brand new honeycomb, it is easier to see. Mm -hmm. Once they start brooding out in there, then it, it's dark in there, right? Yeah. And um, and then you've got the extension of the honeycomb. It's a little bit longer. So then it is kind of hard to see in there. So I do like to look for eggs and, um, and young larvae, you know? Mm-hmm. But anyways, so tomorrow's plan is we're going to go into all the hives, but I'm not doing deep dives in all the hives. I'm going to already knowing just, here's the other thing too. 
I still have some orientation flights going on, but I'm imagining that the ones from the front, it could be that they are um, just hatching out, you know, possibly. So, yeah, yeah. You've got yeah. some young, you've got some young um, bees yeah. coming out. Yeah. And I don't have any queen excluders in because we got, we got trickle of honey flow and we still were in cold weather. Mm-hmm. That, so it was like cold, then it would be warm, then be cold and warm. I didn't want to have a queen excluder on and not allow them to cluster correctly. Mm-hmm. So, and then it was like, oh, honey flow again, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I'm just like, oh goodness, I'm going to have to be going through all the boxes looking for the queen. I hate doing that. I really like having <laughs> well, the queen. Well, she, should, she shouldn't, she shouldn't be in the honey boxes. Technically, she I know. shouldn't be in the, now that doesn't mean it doesn't happen, you know, because just well, virgins, you that, who knows what yeah. they do, you know, yeah, they kind of wander mean, around. But for the most part, your queens should not be in your honey supers. Right. You should be. But I still just knowing that she possibly could because there's a possibility means I have to be more careful. When I have a queen excluder on, I know I don't even have to stress over it at all. Right. So it just, it's easier for me. And you could throw, like if you're throwing on more, if your boxes are full, and you throw on another honey super, you could just, you know, just throw it on above whatever you've got so that you know that she's not coming up any further than that. Yeah. Well, and now at this point, because they've swarmed so many times and what I'm seeing just um, by the reducer, like their entrance, like what's coming and going in, it's not the massive amount of bees that I had before. It looks kind of normal. Yeah. Okay. But they but can I still mean, fill the space up. The space can still be full from no, no, no. previously. I, I, yeah. yeah. No, I totally understand. What I'm trying to say is now I don't have the amount of bees. This was the point. I don't have the amount of bees regulating uh, to be able to regulate all those boxes. Now I can't confirm that. I'm assuming such until I open up the hive tomorrow, I won't know. But that is one of my concerns is that, okay, you have a reduced amount of bees and there's like a few boxes where you don't have a ton of bees. That's when my small hive beetle, your moth, you know, all that other stuff can affect things. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I have to reevaluate. Do I keep all the boxes on? I have to just keep the appropriate amount of boxes for the amount of bees that I have. Mm-hmm. So that will and be so one. That, so it could mean, that could mean that you might want to look at extracting and putting boxes back on. Yes. Yes. And yes. we've talked about that doing extracting during the flow so that you can get multiple uses out of your um out of your um pulled comb that you're you're collecting honey in. Yes. Um, it's especially good for people who do not have a whole lot of resources is you can pull like as long as you've you've got enough on there for them, you can pull anything above that and go ahead and extract it and then put it right back on in the middle of the honey. Exactly. Bottle. That's way better. And that's why I bought um, an extractor for myself, not have to borrow one from the club. And, and so I have to just put the, the legs on. And so I actually, I'm going to try to get that done this week because I do have a feeling I need to pull and extract and then shove it back on there so that they have it. So I've got a lot of work this week, but (laughs) we're having super hot weather and also very stormy, Mm -hmm. but I have to say it's shown like the last 10 days or not last 10 days, but the next 10 days, it's supposed to be stormy every single day. 
Well, we've been kind of blessed because the storms have been happening at night and then during the day it's sunny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which allows us to do what we need to do with the bees because they're not happy in cloudy weather. No, they really aren't. They don't like poor weather. They don't yeah. like poor They don't want us to be messing with them when the weather is bad. And Even course- if it's warm, they don't care. They're just like, it's stormy. Do not open up my hive. <laughs> Put the cover back on. <laughs> Leave us alone. We're all stuck alone. alone. <laughs> but anyways, on the last of the queen rearing things. So for me, I am going to, I imagine out of seven hives, I will have some hives that probably the queen didn't come back mm-hmm. or maybe, I mean, I'm just guessing if that does happen, then that allows a window to be open. Remember, I only wanted four hives, not seven. So I could put those hives away, make my, my, and then if they're those three hives, um, well, actually, cause I have one back there, but anyways, any hive that is empty, if I want to, um, requeen, I can do on the spot, by the way, everybody look that up. It's called on the, the spot queen rearing. Um, make sure that that's the right terminology. Yeah, it is on the it's it is on the spot, but I know it's called Queen Rearing. It's on this, yeah, it's on the spot Queen Rearing. Um, there is a really great pod uh YouTube on it, and I'll post it in our Facebook group. Um, it's by the Summit County Beekeepers Association, and there's a guy, he's a total expert, and he goes through, he's got all his numbers, all his demographics, and he shows you step by step. It's not so much where he's he's showing you pictures, but he's really walking you technically through everything, Uh all the different ways that you can do it this way, that way, whatever way. And so I thought, oh, this is super informative. So it was from two years ago, but it's still valid information, you know, and yes, it's in Ohio. So just a touch different from us. They're probably like, what, a zone six or something. Uh, We're zone seven here. Uh So he's not a beekeeper of the South. But still, there's certain things that we can use universally, which is on spot rearing. Um, But anyways, what I wanted to do was try the genetics of the Caucasian. So I was planning on getting a queen bee when a spot opens up from the Caucasian. And then they say that their, their con, their pro is less swarmy. Their con is super propolis, but it's also a health thing. Because it makes their hive super medicinal. Yeah. So they will absolutely seal their whole hive up for winter. Seal, seal, seal it tight. And they're also super friendly, like little puppies. <laughs> well, I that's hear. a good thing. Yeah. So mine, so, you know, so you're I'm, thinking if you've gone queenless, you're really thinking about purchasing a queen with, with that more genetic line and trying that out. I would like to. Now it's not, now I'm not getting the artificially inseminated Seminated one. one. <laughs> no, I don't want that. I'd like to have more of a normal mix between here. Cause that's, what's going to end up happening anyways here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I would like to try that. And then if I really like them, then we'll do the grafting next year. <laughs> right. We could do that. We can try it. We can try it. I mean, yeah, I, definitely, or, or, I definitely have it on my bucket list of things to try now. I'm like, at some I point, know. I'm actually going to try this in my own Hive. And I may actually do see if I can do another class on uh, on grafting with somebody. There's a couple of people around the too. area who do who do it. So whether oh, I do it this year or next wait. year, but I think I, I think I will follow up and probably try to take uh, another class on it just to familiarize myself before I tackle it on my own. I believe John Radcliffe said that he was going to have an upcoming class for the National Beekeepers Association. They are going to do grafting. It. 
they're going to do it at the next meeting, but I probably, I may want to do something um, like with more, Kent, more. Kent Williams. He does a class. He does I want to do the Kent Williams one. Yeah. So there's a few of them out there. There's some that I might be interested in doing besides that, but I think it's, I, I like to expose myself to some of that stuff before I try it on my own. Um, and so that I have the opportunity to feel really comfortable with it uh, before actually doing it in my own apiary. And then next year we should try to do, he has field days. Yes. I really would like to go to his. And I think we should really go to a field day (laughs) because I think it'll be a lot of fun. (laughs) So fun. Yeah. I think it would be great. And my horses are up there in Princeton, Kentucky. Um, So it's an hour and a half from Nashville. And I think he's two hours away. Yeah. So anyway, it's a nice, that might be our next year outing, you know, to go do something like that. So that would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we've done the queen rearing. Um, let's talk about the no mo may. No mo may. So no mo may. So you hear it's it's been around for a number of years. Um, you, I'm seeing it more. I hear more people talking about it now. It's getting more mainstream. Um, it was actually started in the UK. And because people will go, oh, no mo may. And, you know, and this is what's going on here. And I'm like, going, okay, it's really about pollinator awareness. It was started in the UK. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the month of May is the best month to not mow in your region of the U.S. Right. Um, so use it, use it, you know, where it applies. Uh, most of it's like, you know, some of our native flowering um, plants in that are in people's yards. They want to give those plants a chance to bloom and the pollinators a chance to work those plants. Um, but in a lot of ways, some of the most beneficial things you can do is is if you want to have your yard or part of your yard be uh, a bee friendly or pollinator friendly yard is uh, mixing in some plants into your grass. White clover probably being one of the best options out there for across the the U.S. And the easiest um, is a wonderful additive to your lawn. Um, they were and actually, I think northerners like the red, they can do red clover more easily than I think we can down here. Maybe, but I know the white clover is actually considered a little bit better, better quality for, what, for the bees. For what it is for, for honeybees. Yeah. No, yes. that's not necessarily true across the board for pollinators. If you're just right. in general interested in pollinators, then um, any of the above would be good. Um, yeah. They were talking, I, I just listened to, a, um, um, it was a Zoom class from uh facebook from facebook from one of the universities i can't remember right what right now which one and they were talking about um dandelions are okay and they're great for local pollinators they may not be as good for some because they don't have a complete something about the complete proteins in it was from the wisconsin horticulture extension class all righty but they were talking about how the uh, dandelions, I don't think, have complete proteins. So they're kind of a plant that they would fall back to if they needed it. But it's not like they're the number one. one. It's not it's, it's not, not their the number, number one number choice. Uh-uh. Yeah, it's not their number one choice. So um, there was a couple of other plants that were uh, that they were looking at. But out of all, everything, it was really the white clover that's the best because it's actually yeah. it's actually mowable like your own lawn. Now, exactly. it, a lot of times you should mow your lawn a little bit higher and less often. Right. And that's just as beneficial in some ways. Uh, but the clover will bloom at any height. So even if you're cutting it, it'll bloom at that height. So um, it's it's pretty forgiving for a um, for a 
plant that's mixed in with your lawn, regular lawn grass. So exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, when I moved here, there was already, it was already there. So I loved it. And, um, I noticed I had more of it. The more it rains, the more you get. <laughs> mm-hmm. They like moisture and they like yeah. cooler temps. Yeah. So the last two years, our spring have been pretty dry. And this year, and I thanked all of my neighbors actually on next door on the next door <laughs> app, because I walked, I was so thankful. I love you for growing your I, clover exa- for me. And my I bees. did. <laughs> I said, thank you to all of the neighbors who are allowing the white clover to stay on their lawn and you're not using any kind of chemicals to get rid of it because all of the bees right now, when I was walking yesterday, midday, there were so many bees. Oh, they are on it. They're on the clover. They are definitely on the clover. And I had one uh, neighbor that I really like. She's, um, and I didn't even tell her to do this. She just did it on her own. Her entire front lawn is all clover. And not only that, she's like, well, the reason that I love it so much, and I looked it up, you don't have to mow it as much. Now you said the same thing, or I mean, not the same thing. You said, um, well, it is good to deadhead at Mm -hmm. some points that way it can come back and even be fresher. So this is, so this is true. But next year, um, well, as you know, down by the lake, I have a ton of flowers in March that put out a ton of pollen or February 6th, it started actually. Um, February, March, I had a ton of that. Now it it all kind of died down, Mm -hmm. but um, I'd really like to get a lot for the front because it gets, I have more trees up here in the front, Mm -hmm. so it'll stay more moist. Yeah. Thinking about that, the sun moves it, so it'll get its sun and then it'll be in the shade. It'll retain moisture better. So I'm going to try to do as much as I can. And then I don't have to mow every, I only mow every two weeks, but you could do it like once every three weeks, once a month, just mix it in with your regular grass. And I think it's really great for, for people that don't really want to mow a lot. Um, throw out your white clover. Really nice. (laughs) You know, what was funny. One of the funny things that they discussed is they were talking about, um, combination, um, seed combinations for lawns in that Wisconsin zoom meeting. And there is a, I guess, Wisconsin, they did a whole grant and they actually sell um, their seed that you can purchase that's called B-Lawns or uh, I think it's called B-Lawns seed yeah. combinations. Yeah. And it's and it's for, you know, your pollinators. But they were talking that years ago when you bought seed for your lawn and you seeded your lawn, it actually would have white clover mixed in with it. Oh, did so, it back in the day? And so, which is so funny because, you know, we came around and we were taught, oh, anything except perfect grass is wrong. Right. And so people started trying to like kill the dandelions and kill the white clover. But before that, people liked it because it was, it's almost like, you know, a cover crop, I guess you could say. It's a good thing to have in there. And I think, I think lawns that bloom are beautiful. You know, yeah. a lawn that blooms, it's not just green grass is beautiful. So, um it's a shame so, that we've gotten to this point where we think, you know, it has to be this perfectly cut, exactly. <laughs> you know, three inch straight. Well, cause they got grass. away from like the environment, what was good for it. It was all about, you know, maintaining this perfect, you know, kind of look yeah. for your home. But I will say that I discovered that bee lawn last year, the only problem. And I remember I showed it to you last year and you looked through it because what happened is it's expensive for them to mail it. 
it's, it's, that's where the expense comes in. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have, um, B lawn pollinator friendly seed mix, which is man Lake sells it. Okay. But it's $103. Um, I'm going to look here. Hold on. You know, but that's one of those things where if we know that they're coming in and this happens, this happens for us in Tennessee, and I'm sure it happens in other places too. So like we have seasonal bee meetings. So like in October, it's only a pound. It's only a pound. So, so it's a pound that doesn't even make sense, but here's what's in it. And that's what you and I looked at before we looked at, we looked at what's in there. There's creeping red fescue, chewing fescue, hard fescue, sheep fescue, white clover, self-heal, creeping thyme. So all of that stuff. Self-heal is supposed to be a really good one. It's in the mint family. Yeah. So you know what else you can throw in there? Some mountain mint. Well, I don't know if that's mowable. So these, those are specifically made to go in a grass lawn. I got you. Got you. They're made to be a mix that you can actually mow. And that's what was so good about them. But um, so say you want to purchase something from one of these uh, companies that some, some of these have representation at our meeting. So like our big TBA meeting that's going to happen. So that, you know, the Tennessee beekeeping association meeting, uh, which happens in October here in Tennessee, yeah, we will have representation from some of these beekeeping companies. And we may have people from seed companies as well. I've seen those. We saw that at Hive Life. They had seed companies present. And yeah. If you go in knowing, hey. But they were only I mean, selling clover. They weren't and, selling the bee lawn. And so that's maybe we, we need to, you know, look and contact people who we think might be showing up. This is the exact. And yeah, see this if is, they can get it. This was the conversation that we had last year. And it was, you and I had this conversation before we were starting a podcast. But it was about okay, you saw what was in there. Let's go, you know, the state of Tennessee really encourages and wants people to have backyard bees. Mm -hmm. They really want the backyard beekeeper because that they say that's going to help. We're going to be the first call of defense. If any of the Africanized bees come into, into our state, he said, it's, it's the backyard beekeepers that will be first. Yeah, we're the first warning. We're the right. first warning for that. So if we're trying to do that as a state and it is our priority, we could possibly work with, you know, what we were talking about the um, the co-ops, mm-hmm. you know, that we have in, in our areas. Everyone has it here in, in around their area. And maybe we could get some of the manufacturers that are local here and say, hey, can we get a, because for us, it's fescue. And the white clover we could add in, and maybe we can add a little mix like this. Maybe they give us a recipe mm-hmm. and we go, okay, can we start offering this at the co-ops, you know, and maybe we can get our local home depots to, you know, carry it to, I don't know. Yeah. Well, as it we becomes never... more popular and more people are more, are desiring this, but if it's not being seeing, offered, you'll, you'll start seeing it. Well, you have to, we, enough people have to be interested in asking for it. And then go. it will become more mainstream. As it becomes more mainstream, then your these mainstream um, places will actually start carrying some of those blends. But yep. it might be better to go someplace like a tractor supply or a co-op for some of this too. But you can buy just plain white clover seed, and that's yeah. and that's definitely a well. Home Depot doesn't. Home Depot and Lowe's do not sell white clover. Clover seed, yeah, not yep. at all. But I'd be so- interested. I haven't checked with a co-op. Or I haven't checked with supply, the co-op. but they yep. could potentially sell it. And we yeah. saw them selling it at the Hive Life meeting. So. Yeah, they sold um they sold the wet clover there. I think it was 20 bucks for five pounds, which is yeah. very reasonable. Reasonable. Yeah. 
Well, I have to sign off here. So <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make this short and sweet and, yeah. and, uh, and for today and, yeah. um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get back and see how things are going next time around. Yep. So I'm going to go into my hives tomorrow and we shall see what's happening. But I think within the next uh, podcast, we'll have some really good updates. And then I want to have some updates on what's going on with you as well. Now, so yeah, that we'll end it there. <laughs> <laughs> I had a few more things. I'm like, oh, that's going to be a whole nother conversation. So. <laughs> We're going to tie this up then for now. So yes, dear. All right. Well, happy beekeeping, everyone. Happy beekeeping. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for joining us and we hope you come back and spend time with us again. 